For the next few weeks, we're going to step back in time to a historical figure whose writings have a great capacity to affect change in and through us. Although there is some debate about the authorship of this New Testament letter, most agree it was written by James, the brother of Jesus. James writes with a passion and urgency to the first generation of Christ's followers on how to live in such a way to bring honor to the God of grace and generosity. His words are not lofty. He uses clear metaphor and simple analogy to bring understanding. His words are not a compromise. James is direct and asks us to make decisions not someday, but today. He is concerned that when one proclaims themselves to be a Christian, that we mean what we say, that we practice what we preach. Nothing less will do. Years ago, I read a biography of two other brothers, about as far from Jesus and James as you could get. It's called My Thoughts Be Bloody, the bitter rivalry that led to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln by Nora Titone, Edwin, and John Wilkes Booth. I read a lot of history books and historical biographies intrigue me. When I look from this side of history and gaze back at the paths people take, I'm always seeking to know why. One brother became a famous actor, well-respected and accepted in the highest social and political circles of Washington, New York, Philadelphia, and the other great cities of the time. Conversely, the other brother, one evening, picked up a small derringer and killed the President of the United States. Why? How did these two come to such different ends? The book doesn't answer all the questions, but it does paint an incredibly complicated and compelling story of these two sons of Junius Brutus Booth. It tells how, throughout their lives, their paths intersect and then why they greatly diverged again. Both became Shakespearean actors. Both had times of great success and money and then times of failure and poverty. Edwin was the greater success by far. As a child, he traveled with his father, the renowned actor of his day, throughout the country and learned firsthand the skills needed. Edwin was sent by his mother at 12 years old to be responsible. Junius was a severe alcoholic and would make the money needed for the family disappear. It was up to Edwin to keep his father sober so he would appear on stage each evening and to keep him entertained after that so that he would not go out and spend away the family money. The Booth family saga intrigues me. For it seems that the only platform these men ever stood on with certainty was a stage. Who they really were, what they really believed was masked, hidden behind the floodlights, the curtain, and the makeup, as they became characters in a play. The family's history and relationships needed to be kept secret because of the disapproval and decreased ticket sales they would cause. The truth about who the Booths were offstage had to be hidden, although one day it would all come to the light. Their entire careers and lives were based on what others thought of them, how much they would pay to see them, and how well they could become someone else. 
with the pulling of the trigger and leaping to the stage at Ford's Theater, April 14, 1865, the Booth family name became indelibly a part of our American history. In reading that book, and then thinking and rereading James once again, I am thinking a lot about the why. Why we become who we are. Family dynamics and the way they influence us for all our lives. Societal expectations and how that can shape our journey. How and when we make choices and decisions that can change the outcome and will cause us to walk down a different path. I believe who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and who we will become as the downtown church depends greatly on where we choose to stand, on a stage where we are merely actors, or on the truth God tells us, that we are God's beloved children, engaged in the greatest story ever told, where, as John Wesley put it, the world is my parish. The book of James is written in precise, clear language to describe who we are, who we are to be, and what we are to do if we stand on God's truth. These words will challenge us to take off the masks of pretense and make a decision. Are the words of Jesus Christ true? Do we believe them? If so, it's time to stand on them and engage. If not, it's time to admit you are perhaps an actor in a play. Luke Timothy Johnson, in his commentary on James, writes that the book is forcing a choice where one would prefer a compromise. James is stating facts as he knows them. He is sharing in his words the absolute truth he has learned from a perspective and experience different than any other disciple. He was the half-brother of Jesus. Some say he was Joseph's by a prior marriage. Some say he was one of the children of Mary and Joseph. What we know is that he was a brother first, who then became a disciple. He watched Jesus grow up in those years between where the scriptures are silent about Jesus, ages 12 to 30, James was there. He shared a home, parents, other siblings, food, chores, work, and neighbors with Jesus. James knew Jesus. When Jesus left home and began his ministry, James was left behind. We know he came with Mary at one point to try and see Jesus, but did not receive the welcome they probably sought. From Matthew 12, we read, While he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. But to the one who had told him this, Jesus replied, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. As the years went on, James was there. James knew of the death of his brother. James knew the pain of the cross and the glory of the resurrection in an intimate way. James became sold out for the kingdom of God Jesus brought to earth. 
the way the world could and should become. James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem and was referred to in the book of Acts and in the writing of Paul. This letter, these words of James written to the earliest followers of Jesus contain within it the heart of a brother and the strength of a leader. They are written as a servant to Jesus Christ and one whose life has been shaped and reshaped by faith and by action. For there was nothing his brother Jesus did not teach that his Savior, Jesus Christ, did not do. James knew where he stood. I invite you to read all of chapter 1 sometime today. And I would invite you to plan now to join Jim Millsap's class on James beginning Sunday, September 12th at 9.30. Today, hear these words from James 1. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word, and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they look like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. What are the things that James knows must be understood and practiced if the first generation of believers is going to live as followers of Jesus Christ? Remember, James had learned these lessons firsthand from Jesus. He knew Jesus, who would call those who follow God his brothers and sisters, his beloved. My beloved, we are loved. As followers of Jesus Christ, as children of God, as people for whom Jesus gave his life, we are beloved. That word is so full of meaning, precious, cherished, adored, treasured. Hold on to this truth. It's easy to be discouraged, to feel insignificant when there is great difficulty all around. Yet, you are loved. Please remember that it shapes how we respond how we hear others, how we react. Shoulders back, head held high. We are beloved. No one can take that away. James knew that Jesus listened to those whom others tried to silence. The widow, the orphan, the leper, the prostitute, the paralyzed, the poor. Be quick to listen. Our first response must be to listen. It needs to become our default position. As quickly as possible, we are to quiet and listen. This is hard and urgent and necessary. Listen to the words being spoken. Listen to the truth behind the words. Listen to the opinion of others. Even when they seem so outlandish, you want to shut them out. Listen. We don't know it all. We don't know what it is to be like that other person. Nobody other than ourselves. Everyone has a story, and if you will listen well, maybe we can learn to discover the why. James knew that Jesus used the words with measured meaning, 
They're powerful words that when spoken could calm a storm, quiet a room, heal a broken heart, encourage and empower others. His words could also uncover sin, name an injustice, bring into the light that which others wanted to hide. Be slow to speak. Do not interrupt. Let what you hear sink in before you let a word out of your mouth. Watch out for quick tweets, unfiltered texts. The next thing you say may be the only thing the person you are speaking to will hear. Everything you are thinking does not need to be said. You may be wrong. You may be right. You may open a door or close a door in the relationship. Words are incredibly powerful tools to build up or to tear down. Use them slowly. And James knew when Jesus was angry, Jesus didn't use words of anger and condemnation like salt and pepper just sprinkled around so often they lost their meaning. When Jesus was angry, it was when people were harming one another, when people were taking their positions as religious leaders and using it in the name of God to subdue, oppress, manipulate, and overpower others. Jesus was angry. When people walked into a space dedicated to God and used it for the purposes of profit, Jesus was angry. There are times Jesus was angry, and those around were to listen well, for those times were few. The vast majority of Jesus' teaching were about love, mercy, forgiveness, healing, compassion. Be slow to anger. Slow to anger. We are living in a quick response age. The anxiety in our world is causing us to react first with anger, then perhaps with compassion. We seem to be ready for the fight, ready for the insult, ready for the next cruel remark. So there is road rage, disagreements that escalate to violence, peaceful marches that result in riots. For every opinion, there is someone ready to counter with an argument instead of a conversation. Our anger has to be kept in check. Hear these words from verses 19 and 20 with me once again. You must understand this, my beloved, but everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, but that does not mean we do nothing. James writes in verse 22, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves be doers of the word. James was determined that the first generation of disciples were to take what they had heard and do it. The world was ready to change, had to change, would change, will change, but it doesn't happen unless the people who have faith in Jesus Christ, who believe what he said to be true, do something with what they've heard. So we lean into conversations and listen to the voices of others. We are careful with our words. Anger is not our first response. But the world will not change because we listen to podcasts, read great books, sit in church, study and memorize. It will change because we take what we have learned and do something with it. This past week, the weight of the world is pressing down on all of us. It's heavy. And it would be so much more comfortable to be hearers and not doers. 
The effort to do something may seem too much, but it's time. Maybe it's past time. The pandemic isn't going away. We have to learn to be Christ followers within it. We can't wait. The divisive rhetoric is shouting. We have to learn to speak and act like Jesus within it. Can't wait. Children are being born into a world that desperately needs love to carry the day. It's time to do something, anything, to move the needle one more tick towards justice, compassion, mercy, and love. We can't wait. We are not an audience watching a stage performance. Life is the real thing, and we are to engage in it. This week, over 25,000 students in the Springfield Public Schools began in 50 schools. We have children in our church who attend private schools, Rogersville, Willard, Nixa, Republic, Ozark. We have children being homeschooled. We have children in daycare and preschool. There are students across the street from the church living in the view, as well as thousands at MSU, Drury, Evangel, and OTC. And whether you have a student or not, know a student or not, God has given us the privilege and responsibility to care greatly about the success of each child of God. The challenges facing the teachers, administration, and support staff are great. What can you do? Intentionally drive by any school and pray over all who will be influenced by what happens there. Are there needs in your neighborhood school you can meet? Ozark Literacy Council needs tutors to work with students, and Emily Reese and Sarah Kerner serve on its board and would be happy to talk to you about helping there. Good Dads is an important organization engaged in strengthening families. Ben Lampert, Brian Matson, Ron Crandall serve on its board. Jennifer and Paul Baker are leaders, and all would be happy to share more about it. Would you consider helping with the downtown kids once a month, supporting the downtown youth? Let me introduce you to Carla and Cody. Friends, we're not to be standing on the stage with scripts, made-up faces, costumes waiting for our lines, our entrances, nor are we an audience in a theater watching others act, others live, others engage. We are to be doers. It's time to take off the makeup, put on our street clothes, and move in the world as followers of Jesus. Our why? We've been invited to be part of the greatest story ever told. The story of how love changes the world. Lives are restored. Hope is found. This is the part God has for you to play. Your role? You're the beloved child of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, in the heaviness of this world, we ask you to carry the weight with us so that we can move more nimbly, walk more sure-footed into the future you have for us. We'll listen quickly, speak and anger slowly. Lord, help us to be agents of change for the sake of all your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.